Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. We won't save the planet by recycling 50% of our waste. We save it by not creating waste. Season two goes heavily into circular business models and innovation while creating a space to discuss issues important to our society, like education. Join me and my guest as we explore and create pathways toward a future for the planet. Kayan Krippendorf is a top strategy and innovation expert, both academically and as a practitioner. He's the author of five best-selling books, a Thinker's 50 recognized thinker, and the founder of OutThinker, a strategy and innovation consulting firm that has generated 2.5 billion in new revenue for mid-size and Fortune 500 companies. Welcome, Kayan, to Where Ideas Launch. Catherine, thank you so much for having me here. Wonderful to have you. I discovered your work at the OutThinker Summit in 2020. I was just emerging from the shock and paralysis of facing the pandemic in March, and I found the summit really enlightening. I was wondering if you can share with my listeners more about the summit and whether or not you're carrying it on this year as well. Yes, we definitely want to carry it uh, on again. We probably won't do it one year would be in April. We're probably going to wait a little bit longer, maybe into the summer. But we had never run a summit before. We discovered suddenly that all of my speaking you know, opportunities suddenly disappeared, right? And my calendar was completely empty. I was sitting in my office with my colleague, Zach, and we looked around and said, well, okay, so what are we going to do? And we thought, you know what? There are probably other thought leaders who suddenly have availability. And here's a chance for us to do something, right? There are going to be people hurting. There are going to be nonprofits that are looking to help those people that are hurting. And we have all of these great speakers. And then we have people sitting at home thinking, like, what am I going to do? Why don't we combine those three things? And we reached out to just kind of the, the, the top of the top thought leaders that we knew and said, hey, would you be willing to participate in this charity summit and just give your time for free, volunteer it, and we're going to raise all of the money will go to charities to help people deal with COVID. And so it was really kind of a, a last minute pivot idea that we've never done it before. And somehow just through kind of passion and not sleeping, we pulled it together uh, in the course of a few weeks. It's I'm fantastic. so glad that, 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 that you were part of that. Yeah, it was a great resource. And I think it actually changed my my whole thinking. I found it at the right time. I, you know, I had gone through my own journey of, oh my God, I've just started a business and now this. Um, <laughs> so it was quite a savior for me. And I wanted to take us to another topic and another burning platform beyond the pandemic, which is this topic of sustainability. And We've read that there is a, a an idea that we are burning through resources 1.75 times their rate of natural regeneration. And I wanted to know from your perspective, what are the implications of this on sh- traditional strategy? You know, I think that there has been a sea change that has suddenly accelerated in the area of strategy where uh, since 1930s and 40s, strategy has been optimized to maximize shareholder value. And companies are realizing, or they've been realizing, we've been tracking this trend for about a decade or more, that if you only focus on shareholder value, then even if you're after shareholder value creation, over the long term, you create resistance for your growth. You know, Walmart has great difficulty, less so now, but for a period had really great difficulty just putting down another store because they weren't good for the community. Mm -hmm. And maybe purely out of self-interest, so be it. 
they and I don't know what the what, what their interest was, but even if we're out of self-interest, they say, you know, if we we're going to take a long-term perspective, what we need to do is we need to create a more sustainable strategy, one that doesn't only benefit us, but benefits other stakeholders, a strategy that benefits the community, employees, society, the environment, the world. That is the ultimate strategy because then you don't have competition, if you will. And so, you know, we're starting to see this suddenly accelerate, you know, the, the, the awareness among consumers and investors are growing investor bases that are of, of professional investors who are investing in companies who have sustainable strategies. We have big companies turning into public benefit corporations. We have multiple public benefit corporations going public. I think in just last year in the US, there were five such companies. Um, I'm on the uh, advisory board. We've invested a little bit into one of the first B Corps. And that is uh, the only sustainable future. And corporations are a stakeholder that play a role and they need to participate with other stakeholders in society. What are your thoughts on ESG and whether or not it changes anything further? Um, I think it is critical. Uh, I think that the UN Sustainable Development Goals have shown light on needs of global import. What I think ESG needs to kind of elevate to is to look beyond the purpose right? It is one thing for you to say, or for, you know, Unilever, or Procter and Gamble to say, you know, our, one of our goals is to cure hunger, to rid the world of hunger. That is great. Um, but you need to inline incentives too, right? You need to reach further. You need to say, if that's really my goal, I'm going to no longer pander to investors who are after short-term cash flow. I'm going to attract investors who also care about that because they're going to support those initiatives and your business model, right? I'm not going to make money from things that would motivate my company, my people while I'm here or three generations later from doing something that's inconsistent with that. You know, like Facebook, they make money through selling advertisement and they do that by just creating engagement. The easiest way to create engagement is to get people into arguments. So even if they are after something that is more of a conversation, they are financially motivated, right? So they need to look at their, we need to look at business models too and really live what ESG's potential is, I would say. It's a fascinating topic, and I, I think it's it's such a great platform now for a lot of businesses, not just the big ones, but for startups as well, to really think about you know sustainability and the way they design their business models up front um, to address these needs, even even in terms of circular business models. Yeah, and if I could just add on to that, I think the real opportunity is for the startups, and maybe startups within companies as well. But like you know, I think that successful businesses. So so what you know, it came to be. It started off like let's go back you know thirty years. You created a business because there was an existing need that someone was fulfilling and you went in with a better product and you stole market share away from them. That was the, you know, Michael Porter market share, uh, you know, competitive focus, you know, strategic approach. Um, and then you move to creating new needs, right? That's kind of the blue ocean approach, right? But I think what we're moving to is creating profitable solutions to society needs. And if we look at successful startups, they increasingly are, that's their mindset. There is a problem with uh, water availability, with uh, equality, um, with, um, you know, uh, f f f um, 
hunger and, and food availability, what is a profitable solution to that? Yeah. I want to pivot a little bit into innovation. And it for me, it goes very hand in hand. I feel as a strategy, sustainability and innovation are now almost one thing in the world that we live in today. But you argue that employees, more so than entrepreneurs, are society's primary innovators. And I wanted to discuss that. Why is this in Europe? So, um, you know, I did research. I looked at the 30 most transformative innovations for the last 30 years. This is for my most recent book. And uh, this was a, va- a vetted list, you know, thousands of submissions, a panel of professors, and they kind of said, well, you know, what's important? They said the big things that are important that have really impacted society the last 30 years are the internet, email, MRIs, DNA sequencing, right? These big, big old ones, not the like button on Facebook, not even search from Google, right? The big ones. And then I, I just backtracked and I said, okay, who conceived of the idea and who then de- built, developed and who launched it? And what I found is that 70% of those innovations were conceived of by employees, mm. not entrepreneurs. And, and and so what that means is with without employees innovating, um, you would not um, you not have a phone, a mobile phone, an internet. You'd not have email. You'd not you'd not be able to get an MRI. You couldn't get a stent. We'd live in a very, very radically inferior world if it weren't not only possible but the truth that employees are innovators. That doesn't take anything away from entrepreneurs. I want to say entrepreneurs play an important role, right? But what we tell stories about entrepreneurs, like you look at lists of most most uh, famous business people, most innovative people, it's all, I mean, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. They happen to be mostly white men, which is a whole nother issue. Um, but we don't tell the stories about like, you know, Heather at TIAA who came up with a program to get people with autism jobs and, 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 and get them into society, right? We, we don't tell those kinds of stories of the internal entrepreneur. And so one of my missions is to really have a start shifting our narrative around what innovation is and who the entrepreneur is and celebrating employee entrepreneurs. Sorry, I could talk about this for a long time. I, I <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, I think it's, it's also, um, there's a side of social entrepreneurship as well, that these these people are kind of unsung heroes. They're doing sort of handcrafting or they're, they're trying to make a difference in their local communities. I recently watched a show on Amazon called Living the Change, where they were talking about regenerative agriculture and about these communities that were doing time banking and having their own currency in their small local area and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And, and I was wondering, what are your thoughts on this type of, of sort of social entrepreneurship and, and what it means for for the wider picture i think you know i think it's i think it's critical and huge and i think it's increasing uh in uh, not only because of the need and the awareness and because of the goals of the workforce today right the goals of the workforce for my parents was get a stable job that gives you a salary that gives you retirement right and now the goal is have a difference even if we make less money. And that doesn't mean you should have to make less money, but, um, in, but I also think that there have been certain strategic, uh, concepts that have been introduced. And one of the things we do is we organize a, a peer group of chief strategy officers. So I get to spend time with heads of strategy of the companies. And we talk about the emerging concepts and this whole idea from Clayton Christensen of jobs to be done, I think has opened things up, right? Like you can say, um, you know, the, the idea of creating a local currency is, um, becomes strategically a possibility when you focus on the job to be done by currency 
mm. as opposed to thinking of working within the existing system. So we're seeing innovators starting to think outside of the bounds of existing categories, frameworks, systems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I know we can go on about this for, for a long time, but <laughs> my next question for you is what are the barriers to innovation in firms, let's say outside of big tech and big pharma? What are sort of the barriers that are holding firms back at the moment? You know, in my book, I laid out seven key barriers. I interviewed 150 people and you know, I won't go through all seven here. I'm happy to, but I would say like the, the big ones are First, that companies ask people to innovate, but they don't tell them what the strategy is. So they activate this excitement of innovation, and then these people come up with products that aren't consistent with our products or pricing schemes that aren't consistent or brands that aren't consistent, and they get rejected, and then people grow disheartened, and then they give up, right? Um, the, the, the second big barrier is really around business model. And the, the, the unique challenge for an internal innovator is that they work within an existing business model. The way that you want to distribute your innovations maybe not be consistent with the way that your company is currently distributing their products. The, the culture you want to build around your innovation might be different than the culture that you operate in. And that often appears as evidence or reasons why we have these innovation antibodies that prevent new ideas from growing inside the established companies. But the innovators I interviewed, they view that as just part of the problem-solving process. How do you redesign the, in the, the business model so that it works inside the company? You know, a, a heart transplant surgeon won't just take someone's heart and just stick it in your body and get mad at you because it was rejected, right? They think carefully about how to remove the rejection, right? So that's the next skill. And the, the final thing I would add is just the hierarchical um, – centrally planned system that dominates most companies. So most companies are organized like centrally planned economies, right? We have one central authority that decides where resources go, where talents go, what you can work on. Um, and we know that that doesn't work in the broader economy. Um, so what we're starting to see is explorations of new organizational models that look more like ecosystems, look more like democracies, look more like communities, look more like platforms, look more like marketplaces. And we're seeing these other forms of human organization coming into the mix. And um, so, but, but, but still most companies are dominated by just one hierarchical top-down um, organizational framework that restricts creativity, exp exp experimentation, and therefore innovation. One more question. Okay. But how can we take the sort of innovation and advanced learnings into the public sector and into how governments operate as well? Because I feel as if there's a there's a big burning platform there also. Yeah. So my mother's from Bangladesh and, you know, the economy there is i don't i want to say dominated by but the the ngo sector is you know runs a lot of the services and the activities that shape society there right so i think that that is sort of exemplar of what's possible when you really have the for profit government um, cooperation there's been a show, shown it's been shown for there's a long term trend that the most impactful innovations are coming increasingly through public-private partnerships, 
right? And that's been a trend for 20 years. And so the kind of problems that we need to solve, the big problems, they're too big for just government or just entrepreneurs or just established companies. Uh, what we need to do is we need to bring our solutions together and collaborate together. It also, you have diversity of thoughts, diversity of ideas also increases innovation. Um, but just mathematically, there is not enough money to solve the problems that we need to solve if we just look at solutions from just government or just nonprofits or just um, uh, corporations. Really interesting and exciting. Why don't you tell our listeners about your latest book so that they can yes. have, a, have a check? <laughs> yes, so it's called Driving Innovation From Within, A Guide to Internal Entrepreneurs. And it basically lays out a process, a set of tools for you to be a more, more, a more effective internal innovator. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us on the show, Kyan, and it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you, and thanks for the work that you do. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you today by Career Sketching with Catherine Ann Byam and the space where ideas launch. Career Sketching is a leadership development and coaching brand offering personalized career transition and transformation services. The Space Where Ideas Launch offers high-performance group leadership coaching and strategy facilitation to businesses in the food and health sectors. To find out more, contact Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.